Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Well, was the panic yesterday for a wee while? Were people thinking where they were going to get their bread, their milk? I laughed. I really did laugh. A millimetre of snow. She was gone in no time and was panic about to ensue. What kind of sheep allow you at all? Holy God almighty. <laughs> panic over nothing, you know, and people trying to whip up a storm about... Zero, really. Anyway, it's long gone today and we come through safely, storm-free, and there'll be another one on the way with a new name and there'll be more panic, I'm sure. Anyway, we're into March now. I don't think there'll be too much at this stage. <laughs> Probably be in six foot of snow in two weeks' time and I'll be eating my words. Well, if it is, so be it. You're welcome to Late Lunch. Lots of guests and chat to come over the next couple of hours. I spotted an article over the weekend in my reading time and it really caught my attention because... It said that the earlier you retire, the longer you're going to live. For example, people who live, who retire, should I say, at 50, had a life expectancy well into their 80s, whereas, or with this study, if you worked up to 65, a lot of people didn't last too long, really died within the next couple of years. And it's by Dr. Ephraim Cheng. He's a leading American scholar. But then Louise, as is her wand, pulled me up this morning and said, well, here's another one for you. I have one from late last year and it says that people who retire early die sooner than those who keep working past 65 and that one's from Cornell University. So if you're approaching the age or thoughts are in your mind, what's best? What should you do? There's only one man to talk to. His name is Derek Bell. He's CEO of the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland and he's on the line. Hello, Derek. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for joining me. I've, I've sent the two articles. We can confirm this. You had a good look at them yourself uh, this morning, Derek. What do you make? I, I'm confused. I'm sure people are confused. I think one of the key differences or one of the key points to bear in mind is why are people retiring? So if you look at the report that talks about uh, retire early and have a premature death, it's mentioning people who are forced to take early retirement. And that's a big issue for a lot of people. People who have to retire either because they reach a retirement age in their contract of employment or because of some business change generally find it much more difficult than those that are looking forward to it and plan their retirement. 
Isn't that interesting? So you'd be referring there to, in an Irish context, guards sometimes go early, army pensions are uh, an early stage of life as well. These people are the ones that this one is sort of talking to. If you go early, it's forced upon you. You're, you're not really prepared. Is that what you're saying to me, yeah, uh, Derek? Usually, uh, uh, firefighters would be another one. Yeah. But very often, too, people are forced to retire through redundancy. Uh, so they don't get to their retirement age, but there's a change in the business that means they're ma- it's made attractive to them to take a pension earlier. Okay, and that's that's that, that's one report talking about that. What about the other one that says when you can go at 50 or that, you're going to live into your late 80s and beyond? Yeah, the interesting thing there is whether it's total retirement or partial retirement. Uh, they talk about people, senior retirees, are not totally out of work. They just replan their lives. Mm. And that's really important to plan what you're going to do when you don't work or when you don't work full time. And it it really is talking about people who are senior executives in America knocking back a gear or two and changing direction. If they do that and do that successfully, then they're likely to live on. If they work flat out till their retirement age, it's almost like they fall off a cliff. They don't know what they're going to do. They have no plan for their retirement and they tend to not to live. Isn't that interesting? So you see validity in both angles and both aspects of this, Derek? Absolutely. I mean, we here in the Retirement Planning Council run courses for people coming up to retirement. We try and catch them about 18 months before their retirement age so that they have a chance to implement what we talk to them about. And if you talk to TILDA, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging in Trinity, they would say there are three key items that are vitally important for a long and healthy life. One is to have a purpose. Two is to have an intellectual challenge. And three is to have a social network. Now, not Facebook or Twitter or any of those. Thank God, Derek. Thank God. Real people. Real. If if you think about it, most people get those three things, a purpose, a mental challenge, and a social network from their work. So if the world of work is no more, people have to think about and plan for where are they going to get those three things. So you're saying to me, a workaholic, somebody who has nothing else in their life, the only focus is their work, very little friends or interests outside, you're skating on thin ice? Absolutely. Absolutely are. Uh, And one of the big factors there, both for the retiree and for their partner, if they have a partner, is the change of identity. So while you're working, you're the broadcaster or the journalist. When you're no longer working, who are you? And the partner often describes themselves as the husband or wife or partner of the broadcaster or journalist. If that role is no more, their identity is impacted as well. And that can have a huge impact on how people view themselves beyond work. So you're saying clearly today that it is important, and and this can you, you can you can uh, catch up, should I say, if you're if you're somebody listening who is that workaholic and just focused on that, time is uh, not too late to start broadening your interests. But you're saying that this is important. Yes, give one hundred and ten to your work by all means, but look over the hill. Absolutely, uh, I kind of an unfortunate phrase over the hill. <laughs> you kind of think you know, no pun, no pun. To grass, all the rest. Yes. Of it. Retirement is full of opportunity, full of exciting possibilities. And it's a question of finding which ones of those are right for you. 
Mm. Those three you mentioned are interesting. Purpose, I'd call it mental stimulation. I know you mentioned yeah. something else there, yeah. and that social network. Yeah. Do you need all three of them, or is a purpose enough? No, you need all three. Uh, probably, though, pursuing your purpose, you will ha- have elements of the other two as well. But if you forget them, then you, you're likely not to live as long or as happy. So in life then, and, and you're right there, sometimes early retirement comes, people take a severance scheme from jobs because yeah. c- companies are cutting back, a company closes at an age, and you're very specialised in your skills. You really should have this on your agenda it, 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 in the background. Some ideas are preparation done not to be caught cold. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, we run two-day courses throughout the country. We run them every week in Dublin, and then we run them in Sligo, Galway, Limerick, Cork, Waterford, Kilkenny, and anywhere else there's demand. But we, we run through a number of things. So we first of all run through what changes in retirement. So that's identity, routine, and relationships. We then look at investment issues. We then look at tax issues. Not to say put your money here or don't put your money there. We're completely independent of any financial organization, but simply to say, think about these things. These are the kind of questions you might ask your own provider. We then look at social welfare. So what are your entitlements? How do you maximize your entitlements? We then look at healthy living. So diet, exercise, and mental health. We then look at at legal matters. So we talk to people about wills and enduring powers of attorney. And then look at what are people going to do with their time? Because that's the big issue for retirees. Most people think it's money. So the initial thought is, will I have enough money left to last me? In reality, it's time. And if you think of most people's working week, if you take the working week plus commute time, they're going to have a minimum of 50 hours a week to fill. And that's every week for the rest of their life. I think of 50 hours a week to fish. Yeah. You say Phil, it's with an F. <laughs> okay, are you going to fish on a dark, wet November I know, day? I know, I know, I know. Well, you could actually fish all the year round in Ireland, Derek. You, you know, if you were at Core C and, and Game Angley as well. But I, I, I am being facetious because even though I love it, she couldn't do it all the time. No, and you couldn't eat that much fish either. <laughs> well, we let them back, a lot of them at this yeah. stage. Although I could tell you some people don't. But anyway, I do. Uh, but coming, being serious about this, I know what you're saying. So rather than, because that was a point I was to get there, and you've answered it brilliantly, it, it, money we often think of, but it is that time. Here's the thing. Are you better than having a, a wee spectrum of things? You are. The, the, the mix and variety is vitally important. And we would encourage people not to do everything together. So if they're part of a couple, not to plan to do everything together. If you do everything together, what often happens is that conversation dies. Right. And the the kind of thing that happens is you go off and do something, you're sitting around in the evening, and you're looking at each other. There's no point talking about it because you were there. Yes. If you do separate things as well as joint things, conversation survives, and people say things like, wait till I tell you what happened to me today, or you won't believe who I met, and conversation thrives. I take it as well, Derek, that if you have actually interests in, in your life at the moment, and hobbies, etc., yeah. that they're a good way of uh, filling your time or using your time productively, and lots of voluntary stuff. There's loads out there in that sphere, isn't there? Absolutely, loads of voluntary opportunities, but again, I would say... 
think of what you identify with. So the kind of image I have is you're walking down the street and there are people shaking boxes under your nose collecting money. Some of those boxes you will happily walk past, others you will happily contribute to. If you're thinking of volunteering, think of the organizations that you're prepared to contribute to because you identify with what they're doing. Yes. So you're going to get more satisfaction and the organization is going to get more value if you work for organize, volunteer for organizations that you identify with. Kind of shorthand for that is don't volunteer to rescue cats if you're really interested in third world poverty. Yes, exactly, and a, a, a good suggestion there. Questions coming for you from uh, listeners. Uh, are you better reducing hours if it's possible first to ease you into retirement, i.e. cutting down your days, stepping them down until retirement? Absolutely, if it's possible, would absolutely agree with that philosophy, uh, that method, it's the way to go. And in the States, they've recently started introducing a thing called a retirement sabbatical. So people are getting like six months, nine months, 12 months out of work. They're being paid at the rate they would be paid if they were on pension. So they're getting used to the financial difference. But if they find it's not for them, they can come back to work. So it's a bit like a maternity leave or a paternity leave. Uh, You get time out of the workforce, but you can come back. And what they're finding is that most people choose not to come back. Isn't that interesting? Ella's been on to us. And if you want to comment on this, or if, you, if you've retired at an earlier age or a later age or you're still working, let us know. We want to hear from you on Late Lunch today. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp, it's free by text. Or you can call in on 1850-715-958 or talk to us across our social media platforms. Ella says, oh, Jerry, don't scare me. My mum stopped working at 55. We're not trying to scare you, Ella, because there's two sides to the biscuit, isn't there, Derek? Yes. Absolutely. And if she is doing things that she likes and has a challenge and plenty of contact with people, then she's going to be fine. Absolutely fine. Here's another one for you. Do you pass a line at the perfect age of retirement? I.e. many can't afford to retire now with mortgages and lack of pension, etc. Is it worse to work on uh, for purely monetary reasons? That's a great question. It is a great question, and and some people obviously have to do that. I would say that your attitude needs to change, not that you will work less or or not give value to the employer, but you need to change your attitude from thinking career to thinking work. So when we're young, we tend to think we're building a career. We're going to get more skills, we're going to get more experience, and we're going to move onwards and upwards and get more money. In later years, you need to think, I'm not going to be moving onwards and upwards. I'm working here for income. So it's a change from career to work. And if people have to retire and they're thinking of working on, again, the Retirement Planning Council can help them. We run a course called Working On, which takes people through CVs, interview practice, job searching skills. So let's go back to where we started before we finish (laughs) and can I pin this man down I don't think so Derek the ideal age we started at 50 we came up to the 60 mark 65 and beyond is there an ideal or is that just pie in the sky it's not pie in the sky but it's not a, a question I can give you a straight answer to because people are different their health is different their physical activity is different their mental attitude is different their financial circumstances are different. There are so many variables in there 
that it's impossible to give you a straight answer. The critical thing for me is to look at your each individual situation, to look at when you think you could retire, and then to plan for it. Great advice. Thank you so much for taking my call because, as I said, it's something that intrigued me when I saw that 50 and, you know, going then and living longer and then the converse that Louise pointed out to me. It uh, brought uh, me to the table to start thinking again about this and you've answered so many of my questions in my mind and so many listeners, I'm sure, this afternoon, Derek. Thank you for joining me. One quick thing, if if I can, just before I go. It, It is important to lead a meaningful life and by meaningful we mean to give back a bit. Mm. So rather than being all about the individual, that you need to give back either to family or to the neighbourhood, community or society. Great point. A quote that might just just hit true with a lot of people, happiness is not a given thing. It's the product of a life well lived. I love it. And let's leave them with that thought from you, Derek, this afternoon. Thank you so much for taking our call. You're welcome. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Derek Bell there, CEO of the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland. They have a great website. The numbers and details are there. If you're thinking or you're considering or you want assistance, I recommend them highly to you. The Retirement Planning Council of Ireland. Coming up after two on late lunch, Adam Dunn is joining us from the UK. He's been handed down, inherited a treasure trove of memorabilia, letters, you name it, all to do with uh, family relations who lived in Drogheda many moons ago. But it may strike a bell with listeners this afternoon. What do you do, says a listener, if you're forced to retire from a job you adore and always have loved and have never had any other interest beyond? Well, if I were you, I'll tell you what, I'd start developing something pretty soon because you're going to be at a huge loss. If that happens, you'll have... Work today and nothing perhaps in your life tomorrow. It really is a serious issue for people to consider. Louise, these thoughts wouldn't be in your mind at all at the minute. No, but you know what I'm thinking of? Is it like going back to school? You know the way when you're in secondary school and you say you grew up in Drogheda and you met all your friends down the town of a Saturday and then everybody kind of went to college, got married, you didn't see them for years. So when you're retiring and you're still in Drogheda, all the friends that were in Drogheda are retiring as well. So you go down the town and you meet them on a Friday. <laughs> well, if only it were that simplistic, because <laughs> yeah, some of them have remained, but you know yourself, like your own friends, a lot have scattered, you yeah. know what I mean, far and wide. And my friends were generally out on uh, rivers and lakes and <laughs> things like that. But you see, I... Well, I tell you, it's you coming, bored, it's coming sooner rather than later for me. You, you know, that is the reality of the situation. And uh, I think of myself and, and, and what would lie beyond doing this. And I'd hope that my hobbies and interests, you know, I'm big into the fishing. I love playing a bit of golf. I love my garden. I love socialising. I love going out to watch football matches and going to sport as well and watching sport. You'd have no time to actually work. <laughs> I love holidays, going away on a holiday with ourselves and things like that. You know, all those type of things. I'd hope that'd carry me through. Oh, well, Jerry, sure, you've just endless interests. I know, but... But the only thing is, if you fished, like, and fished and fished, <laughs> would you get sick of it? Oh, yeah, I would. I have to say that about angling. I couldn't, I know I said it there to Derek, you couldn't do it 24-7. Honestly, you'd go out of your mind. But if you had that mix that I'm talking about in my life there, uh, I'd be hopeful that everything would, you know, keep you going. And, of course, there's a, a little one called Ava as well, and a dog called Messi. And That's it. By the time you like retire, that. Ava, yeah. it'd be a young woman, and you'd have to keep the men from the door. Do you think so? 
<laughs> Thanks. Look at your own situation, though. You do. Your mum, your your late dad, he, he mm. worked all his life, didn't he? Yeah, daddy retired when he was 70. Didn't and he, he was always a man that was in the shop and he was out on the streets and he'd talk to everybody and knew... Like, he was always there with people. Mm. Um, and when he retired for a good many years, he rode the bike in and out of Navan to visit his brother. Up no until balance. he was in his 80s, he was on the bike. And Louise, when he did retire at 70 from the shop, and when you're a shopkeeper night, noon and morning, and all that goes with that, you're running a substantial business. Was he at a loss? Yeah, I think he was a bit. I mean, he loved he loved watching snooker, and he loved the garden, he loved growing his roses. Yes. Um, and he loved the football, he loved following Mead. But as the years went on then, Jerry, you know, he lost his hearing. Mm. And that's hugely impacts Yes, of people. course, of course it does. And as years go by, it does get harder. It does with physical health and, mm-hmm. and everything that goes al- along with that. I'd love to hear from the different points of view from listeners, people listening to us today. Anyone out there went early, retired at an early age and has enjoyed their retirement or did you have to take up something else? What about somebody who's working away? I know well, my own mother-in-law, Jerry. She's nearly 76 and she's still working. And she loves it. She works uh, as an inspector with um, an education, yes. you know, with trainee teachers, and yeah. she absolutely adores her work. Not a bother, and no. loves it at 76. It. There you are, at that age. Is there somebody listening to us today that feels like that and wants to continue for as long as possible? Anyone else go at the 60 or 65, and what was that like as well? If you have a story on retirement or want to let us know, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Don't forget our email, late lunch at lmfm.ie. You can call in 1850 on the big number, 86 1800 658 WhatsApp or text. Let's head towards news at two. And remember, Adam Dunn coming up afterwards. Memories of Draha the Past, but we're heading there in the company of the wonderful Gavin James. Must have been about two weeks ago at this stage. Got an alert on my Facebook messenger and it drew me into a Facebook page, Drogheda Down Memory Lane. It's a terrific resource for anyone who lives in the Drogheda area and are away from home. Some marvellous stuff in there. But the documentation and pictures that I saw really caught my attention. I said, I wonder who these belong to. And eventually, with a little bit of looking round, I saw they were the property of Adam Dunn. He lives in the UK and he joins me on the line now. Afternoon, Adam. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, tell us about this collection you've come into. Whose was it and how come you have it? Um, they belong to my granddad. He was born and raised in Drogda. And um, it's basically a collection of all of his family letters, postcards, photographs. Um, and he's since passed away, but he, he passed them all to me, or said that he wanted me to have them. So I've now got them, and I wanted to share them with everyone in Drawder. Well, my, you have certainly ignited a fire with so many people. I've seen the reaction to them and the, uh, lots of yeah. people coming on, you know, filling in the blanks, so to speak, from what, what you posted yeah. there. Uh, what era are we talking about that this comes from? What years? Oh, blimey. Um, he, well, he was born in 1924. Yep. Um, so it'd be any time from then, his collection. Um, so he's, he basically, he wrote this massive, massive book 
um, which he, my, my nan's given to me now, and a lot of the memories that he's wrote, I'm uploading onto this page you mentioned. Um, so they're all of his memories, but I've also got documents that date um, beyond that, so into the 1800s. Yes. Um, from my family that were from border as well. Now, what, what was his name, your granddad's name? So his, um, his name was Richard Brendan Dunn, but everyone called him either Richie or Paddy. <laughs> Even though he had the Brendan in there, okay. Yeah. Richard Brendan Dunn, and his, he was married to who? Uh, my nan, Pamela Winifred, um, I can't remember her maiden name, <laughs> but yeah, just Dunn. <laughs> she was English? She was English, yeah. Okay, so your nan came from England, Pamela was her name, uh, Richard Brendan yeah. Dunn uh, was from Drogheda. That's correct, yeah. How did they meet? Um, during the Second World War, he was actually sent to the south coast of England um, to keep an eye on the, um, the uh, German uh, aircraft coming over to England. Um, and he was patrolling the south coast and saw my nan sat on a wall because um, she had a farm um, by the Seven Sisters. And um, he clocked her. She clocked him. And she fell back into the cabbage patch off the wall and he ran over and picked her out of the cabbage patch. <laughs> So they had Cabbage Patch Kids many years later. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> many children did they have? Uh, three. Okay. And uh, where are they or who are they? So my dad, uh, Paul Dunn, uh, lives in Reading. Yep. Um, and then my auntie, Teresa, lives in Newbury, which is just along from Reading. And my auntie, Sheila, also lives in Reading, so we're all local. Now, the thing is, your granddad, Richard, and grand Pamela came back to Ireland after the war, yes? They did, yeah. They actually had my auntie Therese and Sheila in England, and they actually then moved to Ireland um, for several years because um, my granddad wanted his uh, kids to be brought up, um, well, in Ireland, basically. Yes. And then when, and when my, my, my nan fell um, pregnant with my dad, I think it was all just before... It was about when they knew there was going to be a third one along shortly, they then went back to England to have my dad. Okay. But they spent a number of years living in Drogheda, yes? I'm, I'm not sure. When they came back to Ireland, I'm not sure if it was Drogheda. Right. Um, but it was certainly in the, in the area. Okay. Yeah. And, and the thing is, what you've been presented with, I know your granddad wrote this amazing story about his early life and years. He was reared in Drogheda. He was, yeah. Okay, and that's the significance of this. And you have details on his father, right? Uh, who was Richard. Is that right? Yeah? Also Richard, yeah. That, so there was two Richards. Your dad, your granddad was Richard. His dad was, that's your great-granddad was Richard, who was married to Margaret, uh, and she was a Flanagan. That's correct, yeah. And then you go back to your great-great-grandparents, uh, William Dunn and Mary Kerr. Is that right? That's correct. God, I haven't. Yeah, I was just trying to, between the, the hotting and trotting on Facebook and having a look at this, so that's, I've worked that out. I'm pleased with that now. I have it. So it began with your great-great-grandparents, William Dunn and Mary Kerr, who I take it are from the Drogheda area, yes? From what I can see, yes. I mean, I've actually got, my granddad did give to me when he was alive this really ancient piece of sort of paper, and um, I opened it up and it was the family tree, and we don't know who actually created this family tree, but my granddad was the last to be added to it, and it actually goes back to 1691. Wow. And they're, they're all Duns and Flanagans and a load of other very typical <laughs> traditional Irish names, but I, I'm struggling to trace them. But I've got this paper, um, so I'm going to go by that. 
Oh, hold, don't ever let, you probably heard that the Euro Millions lotto was won in this neck of the woods last week. See that document you have? Mind it as safely as that ticket, please, because it's yeah. very, very important. Um, so, yeah. so you're talking about two very familiar names here around this area. That's the Duns, and who was the other one you mentioned? Uh, the Flanagan. Flanagan. So Duns and Flanagans, we want to alert them in the Drogheda, Greater Drogheda area today. We could be talking to your relation, Adam, here on the phone. Do you know any of your relatives in this area at the moment? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, there's bound to be some still there, yeah. um, but who they are, I'm not too sure now. But I put myself on the Ancestry.com website, and yeah. through the website, I have actually made contact with some distant relatives. Okay. Um, so we were able to actually swap and share all of our photographs and letters and postcards. Um, so now my collection has tripled in size, <laughs> you... um, thanks, thanks to the website, yeah. <laughs> Your Christmas card list is certainly oh. growing, young man, <laughs> for the years ahead. So your dad yeah. was Paul Don. We just want to mention this. And he had sisters, Teresa and Sheila, as well. Now, I believe you've booked flights, have you? I have, yes. I'm actually coming to Drawder... On the 17th of March to the 23rd, it'll be my first visit. My God, so this is history in the making. You've never been here before. I've never been to Ireland, no. My granddad, when he was alive, kept sort of telling me, go to Ireland, go to Ireland. You've got so many friends and family that are waiting for you out there. And I said, yeah, one day, one day, one day. And now I found all this family history and it's all sort of, I've become obsessed with it. I'm now going out there to actually go to the places my granddad sort of spoke about and visiting the family that he's always told me to go visit. Yeah. Are there any names of places you have to mind there that you'd like to throw out and mention? Oh, well, I mean, some of the stories he's told me, he's told me, well, in this in this book he wrote, um, it mentions, I think it's called the Catherine Steps. Yeah. Catherine Alley, and there's a, there's a set of stairs with a railing. He used to slide down it with his um, brothers. So probably quite a minor place in Jordan, but for me it would be quite significant because I can sort of visualise my granddad as a little boy sliding down the banisters and he mentioned several shops that used to be in Jordan at the time so I'd like to go see them and the houses he used to live in. I know he used to live in Trinity Gardens. That would yes. be quite an important one for me. Yes, I know it well. St. Catherine's Steps are still there, would you believe it? So you're going to be able to see those. Trinity Gardens is alive and well and vibrant also. Some of the shops you know yourself, Adam, well, at this stage you wouldn't know. <coughs> but I'm, I, Yeah, I can't remember the names of them, but he does mention roughly where they are. So I can probably look at old photographs and see them. But he used to also live in a tiny, tiny little 30-foot square room above a shop in, I think it's called Narrow West Street. Narrow West um, Street, yes. Yeah. And um, he's, he told me which one it was. He's mentioned the number. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I've looked on Google Maps, and unfortunately at the moment it's abandoned. There's no one in there. Yeah. But um, that's, again, it's just somewhere I'd like to go and see and actually picture my family living in this 30 sort of, 30 uh, foot square room my. sort of 7, 8 of them Oh <laughs> my word that is something else so Narrow West Street which is uh, the lead into the main street on the town has been struggling in recent years for sure Trinity Garden St. Catherine's Step we're talking about the Dunn and Flanagan families anybody listening today recall the names Richard Dunn and uh, Paul's uh, Paul is Adam's dad that we're talking to this afternoon have you made arrangements to meet anybody when you come over that may be able to guide you you along i have actually um 
I've got, um, a, again, a distant family member um, by the name of Marge Everett. She's, she was born in Liverpool, but now has settled in Ireland. Right. She lives down in Cork, and we've made contact through the Ancestry.com website, and she's the one who's been swapping all the photographs and documents with me. And when I come over in sort of like a couple of weeks' time, she's the one who's going to be chauffeuring me around Ireland to all the family members and actually taking me to Georgia for the first time. Isn't that just marvellous? Will you do me yeah. a favour? I wanted to just whet people's appetite for it today and maybe this will help prompt, uh, you know, Duns or Flanagan's to get in touch with us that maybe your your distant relatives and we'll pass on the details to be sure. When you're home, do you see that document you have going back to, what, 1860, is it? Uh it goes back to 1691. Oh my God, I'm doing you 200 years. 1690, <laughs> holy moly, that is some distance back. Bring it with you, will you? I will try, yes. I'll try to remember. I've got to be careful with what I bring because yeah. things are so delicate. Yeah, well, even, even a copy of it. If you can copy it, can, you, know, you know what mm. I mean? Bring a copy yeah. of it with you. I think it could be really significant indeed. And listen, when you're over, I invite you. Come in and join me here in studio and let's talk more about this. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be really, really fun. Great, Adam. Thank you for joining me today. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Adam Dunn there. You want to see what this fella has been left by his... uh family. It's incredible stuff, it really is and hopefully we'll pin him down to get him into studio when he is home. But if you are of the Dunn-Flanagan families in the Drogheda, Greater Drogheda area, is that you? Does it ring a bell with anybody? If it does call us, we can put you in touch with Adam. He's keen to make contact with his relatives here in Ireland. Uh, 1850-715-958. Give us a call there, leave your details and we'll put you in touch. First, it was the 175 million for that family in the Noel Dulic Bellius town area. Then on Friday night last, uh, over the border in County Loud, Dramiskin to be precise, 500,000 ticket winner in the Euro Millions. And guess what? Saturday's lotto jackpot of 2.5 million. The ticket was sold in Madden Centre in Termin Feckin and the man himself is on the line, Ray Madden. Hello, Ray. Hello, Jerry. How are you? Good afternoon to you. I'm good, and there's a pep in that voice for sure after the weekend. Congratulations to you and the store there, and whoever the winners are, be it Term and Feckin or beyond. What can you tell us about this? When was the ticket sold? Do you know? Uh, we're not really sure when the ticket was sold, Jerry. We do know it was a quick pick ticket. I think the value of the ticket sale was six euro. So it would have been sold between um, the last row, which was on Wednesday night, and then uh, between then and Saturday. In so. terms of lotto, Ray, that's something I want to ask and I've been meaning to ask. Is quick pick the most popular method that people have still their set lot of numbers? Well, you would have a certain uh, amount of people that would come in with their play slips every week and they'd do their the normal anniversaries and birthdays and that type of thing, you know what I mean? But quick pick would be, um, I'd imagine, yeah, the most popular way of playing lotto. Yeah, how did you guys find out? How quick do you know when you've sold a winner? Well, we got a phone call on Saturday evening, um, roughly about half nine from um, a representative from the National Lottery, David Woods, and they rang to give us the good news. Oh, my God, as quick as that you had it. Yes, yes, Saturday evening, Jerry. So the buzz came from there, and, of course, everybody's speculating, and I'm sure your, your wonderful staff in the shop wondering who bought that ticket. 
Well, it's just what no one has come forward yet. We um, ever who bought it, like the the very best of luck to them and made them have really have good health to enjoy it. But uh, it would be nice to to know who won it, and it would uh, it would be better for it if it was someone from the village it'd be fantastic yeah it would be a local win would be right regardless be. who won it yes exactly exactly and I, I I go with you there health to wear for whoever won it absolutely, it's a brilliant Gary, win absolutely. it's a brilliant brilliant win now the the win for you is this the most significant you've had at the store absolutely Jerry. yeah this is our biggest winner now we've had we've never we've never sold a jackpot winner before we're out here now 14 years and um no, this definitely, definitely now will be our biggest win. It was your time. Anyway, Ray, there's a few pounds for yourselves in it. Enjoy that too. But congratulations. It lifts the spirits of everybody, doesn't it, when you have a win like this? Absolutely, absolutely. It's great for staff. It's great. It's great for the shop. It's great for the village. Like, it's just fantastic. The buzz around yesterday, even today. Great buzz around today. And everyone coming in, congratulating and checking their tickets. And it's, it also helps for a lot sales as well we go down as um, a lucky shop to do your lotto Jerry absolutely and keep making that wonderful whipped ice cream we'll be out for some shortly absolutely Jerry <laughs> next day you're passing you give us a shout and we'll have the ice cream ready for you thanks thanks Ray Okay, Jerry, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, if you have those numbers, if you have the ticket, I'm sure you know already. 137, 27, 31, 44, and the bonus was 19. Those were the lucky numbers on Saturday. Somebody bought it in Madden's Interment Feckin. Now, we're talking about retirement top of the show with Derek Bell. Sheila was on from Dundalk. She retired at 65. She's now turned 90 and never felt better. She says she takes it one day at a time. Uh, from the time she retired, she loves to garden, like myself. Well done, Sheila. You can't beat the garden. She's in contact with our neighbours and friends every day. She is a pet dog and a cat for company. She keeps an open mind about everything. She's glued to our local radio station, LMFM, all the time. And above all, she tells me, she has her faith. Because without faith, says Sheila... We're already dead. We're like walking zombies. I love that comment. Sheila, many, many more years of health and happiness to you. Thank you for that lovely comment. Margaret wants to ask me, yes, Margaret, how I would feel if you had to retire from your job because you got married, as I had to, with the rule at the time. It was shocking, Margaret. Shocking. Shocking like many things in Ireland at the time. Imagine having to give up your work when you got married. Oh, my word. Thanks for your comment, Margaret. Richie's on the line. Richie, afternoon. Hello, Jerry. Thanks for taking our call today. We got your message. My, oh, my, you are a busy retiree. What age did you stop working at, Richie? I stopped working at the age of 58. I worked in CIA and Ichikawa Railway Works. And uh, I, uh, my wife wasn't in the best of health at the time, and a voluntary severance package came up, and I took that, and then she passed away 11 years ago. Oh, my word. So you had to, besides taking your uh, retirement, you had to then adjust your life again when she passed on. Adjust again, yeah. And the main thing is that uh, I get up in the mornings between the hours of 7 and 7.30 in the morning and uh, turn on the radio, listen to to Christy and Seamus. Great. And Christy being an old, uh, Christy being an old, a young, grim man where I used to live at one time. Yeah. Uh, I like the two of them. And then... Uh, the rest of the week, Monday mornings, as I told you, we go to our, our over to the over fifty five club at uh, half eleven, and there's uh, cards, pool, 
uh, line dancing, knitting, all sorts of things going on, and then as outings arranged here, there, and everywhere, uh, we pay three euro in, and we get a cup of tea down in a scone and a bit of a chat. That finishes around half one, quarter two, and uh, Tuesday then I do whist, play the whist cards in Shamrock Rovers in uh, in Talent Hallow Stadium. The hoops. And Wednesday morning is bowling, indoor bowling from uh, ten to half eleven. And when Thursday we go to the cinema. Friday we do indoor bowling again, and we also go to Malaya's after the the cards after the bowling for a bit of lunch and a bit of banter, and then we go to the spa well on a Saturday night. There's a bit of music down there, and we're christened as the dancers <laughs> because we're always the first gang up on the floor. <laughs> now in, in between that, Jerry. <laughs> I tell you, we do, uh, we get cheap shows in board, gosh, Canada Girls and Jersey Boys and yeah. you name them, Motown. We go to them on Wednesday afternoon when they come available. And the past 18 months we have been to Ben's Arm three times, Krakow, uh, Cove, Belfast, Port Leash, Cork, Limerick, Kilkenny. And uh, we have, uh, we're booked up again now to head off in May to Benidorm again, and we're going to Germany then in, in, uh, <laughs> in September, and we're planning <laughs> Benidorm again in October. Richie, <laughs> I want to be you. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing about it, I hear people saying that, you know, what do you do when you're tired? <laughs> the thing is to get out, and the hardest part, Jerry, the hardest part, now there are many people you know. The hardest part is walking into a club for the first time. Mm. And you walk in the door and you're wondering, you know, how is this going to accept me? And they're all only delighted to meet you. And then you spot someone that you already know and then you're in. And after a week or two, it's like you've been there forever. Yeah, and you're the example of somebody who says life certainly began for you at 58. That's it, that's it. That's it. And as an old saying, and I always quote it, it's down in the shopping centre, in the square shopping centre, where some people meet there in the morning and have a bit of a chat and go off. And over it it says, uh, there are no strangers here, only friends who have not met yet. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Richie, thanks for your call today. You're have to welcome, leave it there. Jerry. Thanks for joining me. I'm, Happiness and health to you. Show. I listen to it every day. I, I, I enjoy it because it's all doom and gloom on the other stage. <laughs> thanks, Richie. You're my <laughs> man. You can be my agent any day. Thanks a million oh. for joining me. Take okay, care of yourself. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Bye-bye, bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Let me give you a little bit of information ahead of uh, talking to my next guest. There are more than 500 species of them in Ireland. Despite the name, they won't bite you. Anglers are the most likely people to know all about them. But in general, I'd say the vast majority haven't a clue what chironomids are. My next guest has spent his entire life researching and identifying these tiny water and land-based creatures. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch today... Dr. Declan Murray. Declan, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. I'm delighted to be here. And this is the man I spoke to a few weeks back about Laurel and Hardy. Isn't that right? The very same. The very very same same man. But today it's quite different. Well, listen, uh, they're known as midges, duck fly, buzzers. Will you tell our listeners, what are coronamids? Coronamids are insects, two-winged insects, that uh, the juvenile stages, the larvae, live in water. And from my point of view, the, the larvae are very interesting because they tell you a lot about the quality of water. There's, you know, when you go around the country looking in rivers and lakes, some lakes are poor quality, some lakes are good quality, same in rivers. I can tell more or less what the condition of a lake is like by looking at the coronamid larvae I find in the sediments. So that so, is a really significant point about these creatures. Yeah, can I ask you yeah. this, because this is a leading question, and yeah. look, no point in telling them, I have my box yeah. of coronamids, you I, will I verify here. I, just, I didn't realise you're such a keen angler, and I have to say, I, I don't fish at all, Jerry. So. <laughs> oh my God, you don't yeah. know what you're missing. Anyway, yeah. they're so significant, oh, yeah. these creatures, to yeah. anglers, they really are. But here's the thing, just on that point you made there. When you have coronamids present, anglers say that it's a sign of pollution. Not necessarily. There are good coronamids and bad coronamids. Um, some of the coronamid larvae are um, a deep red colour. Sometimes they're called blood worms. And the colour is because the coronamids, like we have ox- um, hemoglobin in our blood to keep it red, coronamids that live in polluted water where there's low oxygen content will have the same type of pigment in their bodies. Uh, so... In polluted water, you'll tend to find coronamids that have um, a red colour. In clean water, the coronamids are totally different colour. They're kind of white. But as I said, as you said at the introduce me, there are about 540 different there species are. of these creatures in Ireland. So the um, pollution-tolerant coronamids, as I call them, maybe about 10% of what we know occurs in the country. Okay, I so think, yeah. in general yeah. sense, then, Irish water quality is reasonable. 
Um, yeah, the EPA might disagree with uh, mm. with some of the, the the findings, with some of that comment, but uh, in general, it's reasonable. But I, you can t- I can tell by looking at the coronavirus community. Uh, what the water quality is going to be like. Now, for for, for ordinary folk who, who don't fish or go near water course or anything, if you have a bucket in your back garden of water, folks, you may have seen this in the past, a bucket or uh, maybe a barrel or anything that water gathers in and becomes stagnant, and you see these little things like commas yep. moving up that's, and down in the water, that's yeah. the coronament, that's isn't the, it? That's the coronament. And I'll tell you, Jerry, there's a little item I'd just like to mention to you. It wouldn't have been in the pre the notes that I gave to your um, you know to Louise a couple of weeks ago. Um, look in your water barrel; you will very often see these red red worms squealing around, and other types of, of things. They're not worms; they're insect larvae. Mm. But um, a number of years ago, after I retired, and I was very interested in uh, your item as I was coming driving down here. You're talking about early retirement, and I retired early. I retired at sixty, and I've never been busier. I had so many things to do when I retired. I went back into my own research on coronavirus. But to, following on from what you're talking about on the uh, in the rainwater barrels, in the year 2004, along with my my better half Freddie, we were in the uh, the Azores doing some collecting of coronavirus for because uh, I'm interested in island biodiversity. That could be another day's talk too. Um, but um, we were we had finished collecting. We were there for about uh, ten days. We'd finished collecting on. on four or five of the different islands in the Azores. I were about to leave uh, São Miguel, the, the principal island, wait, waiting outside the hotel to go to the airport. And I had my back to a, a drinking trough. And in that trough, I could see um, coronamid larvae and exuvia. When the larva goes from the, the adult, sorry, when the larva changes from uh, to become an adult, it develops into a pupus, you probably know from your... Yes. Eyes. Yes, yeah. But I can look at the skin of that pupa and tell what the adult is. So we, um, I collected some of these skins from the um, that drinking trough, uh, and when I brought it home, it looked it very unusual. I hadn't seen it, never seen it before, and eventually found that it was a species that had been described from Portugal um, only in 1997, about a couple of years prior to that, and that was fine. You know, I was able to put a name to it, and you wouldn't believe that. Um, lo and behold, about 10 years later, I was over outside my son Finverse and, and Linda's house outside uh, near Kilmessen. And uh, there in a rainwater barrel, I was collecting coronamids as I always do. And lo and behold, the same thing was there. From in, the Azores? Well, from the Azores, it's, it's hard to know it, but it's the same species same that was species in the Azores. Now, I didn't bring it in my suitcase yeah. or anything, but it was there. It obviously got here. It obviously got here. My, and my point is that um, I've been working on coronamids in Ireland for over 40 years, 50 years. I'd never found it before. And it's such a distinctive creature that it obviously must have come into Ireland in the last number of years. Uh, since uh, I found it in near Kilmessen, I found it in various other places around County Meath as well. And how and would that have transferred? Um, that is a question that I don't have an answer to. Uh, the... Well, no, no simple answer. Nothing, nothing, really, no. to say. I mean, but it one happened. Can, one can speculate that they were carried by, say, for example, migrating swallows. Yes, that um, the eggs were carried mm. on the feet. But then swallows don't generally live in water; they scoop over water to yeah. feed. Um, they, this particular species is very commonly found in now, as I know now, in what we call ephemeral 
water habitats. Habitats like your rainwater barrel bucket, there may not be water in them all the time. Um, so possibly it could be non say a lorry coming from, from yes you never Portugal. know but they are yeah. resilient and they do get round oh they do yes yes yeah. now come and back the, to the life yeah, cycle yes, because sorry, I, I yeah. want to, let's start, start the yeah. Yeah. are yeah. these yeah. ancient life can you can they be traced back millions of years they absolutely millions of years we know for example that the earliest known coronomates date from about 130 million years ago so they're around a long time. 130 million years ago. Yeah, that is a long existence. Is, and obviously yeah. they have a resilience yeah. about them to survive all that time. Now we mentioned but over 500 species here yeah. in this country in Ireland. Yeah. Talk about the life cycle. An adult midge or buzzer or whatever you like to yeah. call it yeah. lays its eggs on the water. On, on the water. And the yes. eggs go down to the bottom of the, the lake or what, the, the barrel or bucket or whatever. Yeah. Yes, they generally sink down and they hatch into a larva which is a blood worm a, would we well they're not all blood worms hatch yes. into a, a worm like creature ok say it's a worm like how long does that take from the eggs go down till they hatch it you know it varies oh, it, going down until they hatch in a matter of days ok so when they but go down they hatch quite quickly they do yes into into the little larva the little larva now, how long now, are they in the larva form for? They'd be in the larva form three four different stages of larva each, each larva feeds grows then stops growing, sheds the skin, grows again. And there are four different phases. Like that. We of call the larva. Of the larva. We call them instars. And how long would that take typically? It, well, typically, um, an average life cycle would be a year. Right. Going, going from egg yes. through to adult, back to adult again. Yeah, okay. So a full uh, year for the full cycle. But, you but, say but on the other hand, Jerry, you have some species that they could have two or three generations within one year. Okay. So there's different uh, subspecies other different. than that operate in different ways well, as well. Not necessarily subspecies, but different species. Species different of types, the, yes. Okay. And even even then, uh, some of those uh, same species could have two or three generations in a year because it depends on the amount of food they get. Okay. So let's say four stages of the larva, then it develops into the, the pupa. pupa, which is yeah. the little comma I'm talking That's about. That's right, yes, yeah. And, and that, that, that comes up to the water surface. Up it wriggles like yeah. that, up to the top of the water. Yeah. And it hatches then. The, the, it remains on the water surface. The adult slips out of the pupil yes. and it flies away. And you're left with the skin floating on the surface. That's it. You now see, I, I can look at those skins and tell what the species is. Can and that's, you? That's, and that's fascinating. From what remains? From what remains. When yes. the adult is gone. I don't have to look at the adult, I can just look at the skins. And how long yeah. will an adult buzzer or mage live for? Oh, a matter of days only. That's it. Short yes, lifespan. Short, li- short lifespan. Short lifespan. A little bit longer than the mayfly. The mayfly is typically called, uh, you know, it lives for a day. Yeah. An adult coronavirus would live for about a week or so, a week to two weeks. Okay. Yeah. You see, the yeah. reason these are of particular interest to me and anglers okay. is because trout feed on these creatures extensively because they're mm. there all year round generally. Mm. They're mm. deep in the water when they're in the larva stage. They feed mm. on the larva, they feed on the feed pupa on the rising pupa up in the water. Yes, the yeah. hatching pupa and yes, they'll yes. also splash the adult when he comes back to lay his eggs. Yes, yes. So very interesting. Uh, well, you're educating me now there, Jerry, because well, it's not my year. <laughs> you are. We, oh God almighty, entomologist <laughs> anglers, you have to yes, be and know yeah, what different yeah. stages that the fish yeah. are on them, you know? Yeah. How indeed. important are they or where do they fit into the, you know, when I think of life on Earth and you start with the <coughs> tiniest microscopic life form and you come up to man, where do they fit or how significant are they? Well, every species is significant. But I, as I said a short while ago, 
you know, we know they've been around for 130 million years just based on fossils. Mm. Or, and these are insects that uh, were obviously were well-developed uh, adults that got caught particularly in resin from evergreen trees. And when that hardens, it can become amber. And there's Baltic amber, all sorts of different types of amber that holds uh, in what are called inclusions of granulomas. So we know they're there for at least 130 million years ago, but I suspect if we look at the whole geological record, or the origin of insects goes back to about oh, 600 million yes. years. But they're in but, there in the whole uh, cycle in that yeah. they exist, they feed on something, then others feed on them, like the yes, trout yeah. and fish species yeah. as well, and then yeah. they're preyed on by something else. Yeah, and then, you know, when you think of it, uh, we eat trout. Yes. So the trout are fed on the coronomids, so we're so eating ultimately, yeah. If you've eaten fish and and fish from lakes and wild fish and that, mm-hmm. you have actually eaten coronamids. You would have, well, because they've been converted into fish flesh. Do absolutely. you know as well? I can tell you this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. When they when they feed extensively trout on coronamids, their flesh becomes a real deep red colour. It gives the flesh the pigment of the fish is a very good colour. Not alone yeah. with these, they of course feed yes, on yeah, shrimp and yeah. mayfly, as you said, and everything. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of that red colour is coming from the shrimp, the freshwater shrimp. Is it more I from the so, shrimp yes, than these yes, fellas? I, what about your red buzzer or the hemoglobin of the Oh, oh well that's what would contribute to it, but I think yes. there'd be more the shrimp in the shrimp. Okay. That's okay. just a, so that's from a non angler's point well, of view. Well anyway, yes. it fattens them up. Yeah. It does, yes. Yes. Because if yeah. you spoon a trout when you catch it and it yeah. check its yeah. stomach contents, there'll yeah. invariably always be attractive buzzer feed in there in the stomach. Right. So it's yes. significant yes. In, in, in terms of yeah. their food um, cycle. Tell me, Jerry, do you open up the trout to have a look to see yes. what they're feeding on, yes. then take out your flight? Absolutely. Yes, yeah. Look, yeah. We, we, look the, the, we were talking earlier on yeah. about, about fishing and that in the context of retirement, which you were listening to as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. We, yeah. we don't keep, we put a lot, a lot of fish back mm. because it's sport. You catch them mm. and release them. Mm. But when you keep a couple mm. of the table, if you open them, I love analysing their stomach right. contents. Yes. I think it's yes. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I must bring you with yeah. me and, and, and you can have a look at this for yourself. Yeah. I, I'd say you'd take up yeah. fishing, to be honest with oh. you, Declan, when well, you see this. I want time. I want you in the yeah. boat with me. Yeah. I have a buzzer <laughs> expert beside me. I'll catch even yeah. more fish okay. when you come with me. We can both go buzzing around catching <laughs> We can. We can indeed. Listen, yeah. I want yeah. to take a yeah. short break. Dr. Okay. Declan Murray is with us. Now you know what it is. A coronamid. It's known as a duck fly as well in the west of Ireland. A buzzer. Different names to it and actually the duck fly is up I believe on Carob uh, early a month early with the weather this year I'm going to talk more to Declan about buzzers after the break Dr Declan Murray came in to teach me and you about coronamids and here am I giving him a lessing in entomology for angling sorry about that we'll get back to the main story now with the man himself um when I look at the distribution in one of your books there of uh, the Coronamids in Ireland, and the Louth and Meath are listed there, Meath mm-hmm. more so than Louth, but I notice some of the big counties with massive expanses of still water like Mayo and Galway and etc. Huge populations there. Well, yeah, but that's basically, it, 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 it's a reflection more of the amount of work that's been done looking for them than what's actually there. Yes, Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was when I retired, uh, I was very interested, Jerry, in, in your conversation, which was a David a while ago. I was listening on the radio on the way down. Uh, I retired when I was 60 from uh, my lecturing position in UCD. And uh, looking back on it, I think it was the best decision I ever made to retire at that age. Did you keep Be- working? Because I kept working. I, I spent more, I was able to spend more time at my own research interest, was looking at the coronamids. 
So you just continued on as if you never stopped I, working? I just stopped lecturing. Yes. I stopped involvement with um, undergraduate lecture. And you didn't I have to go in for your hours at that time? I didn't have to go in, and that, that was a huge big thing. We lived near uh, Kilmoon Cross, and the daily commute to Dublin was getting uh, a bit uh, mm. tiring. Uh, my general trend was to try and go into college early in the morning. I'd be there, I'd leave home around um, oh, half past six or so, so I'd be in quite early in college, prepare for lectures, do my lectures, and I'd try and leave by half past four in the afternoon to uh, get home before the traffic build up. Beat the build up, yeah. But b- between administration and sometimes there'd be a knock on the door, Dr. Murray, can I have a word with you, please? And I'd say, yeah, come on in. And so they'd sit down beside me and they'd look at the clock again, oh, it's quarter past five. So I'd lost the opportunity to get home before beat the traffic and I'd be waiting there until half six quarter to seven foot so my days were getting longer and longer mm. uh, so in uh, the year 2000 2001 when I reached 60 I looked at my opportunities and I saw that I could actually retire I'd put enough years in I could retire at that age so I retired and uh, I've, since then I've spent more and more time working on my personal research interest which has Isn't been that? most fulfilling I can yeah yeah isn't that interesting, yeah. building on what we were talking about, yeah. that you've felt these years? And, like, you'll nearly be 20 years retired, well, quite yeah, shortly, ta- you know? Yes, yeah. You will indeed. Yeah. I've amazing. actually published, um, in that time, of over 50 scientific papers published. So I have a greater publication when I re- since I retired than I had in the years prior to retirement. Here's a man in advertisement <laughs> for retirement <laughs> at 60 years of age. Yeah. Come back to, come back yeah, to this yeah, because yeah. I, I want to get a little bit more in about the Chironomids or buzzers or duckfly yeah. or whatever you like to call them. Um, you have identified, or you and others in Ireland, how many species exactly of them? Well, it's close to 540. Are there more? Probably are. Um, when I started look, uh, looking at Coronavirus first in 1965, I started my PhD work, there were less than 100 species known in the country. Now, as I've just said, we're in the region of, of 540. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't there before I started. It's just yes. no, one, no one had looked for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it's all to reflects the idea that we can tell what the species is by looking at the pupil skins. It's easy to collect large numbers of pupil skins it's not that easy to collect large numbers of coronavirus adults. Now, you might disagree, you say that all over the place, but maybe it might be all over the place, one type, one particular species. But there are multiple species, obviously. So if yeah. I get the pupil skins, I can go through a sample of pupil skins quite quickly and maybe find 30, 40 species in one sample. Yeah, oh, you'll see them. And, and you, you know, and the thing about them yeah. as well, uh, they, they hatch we talked about them hatching up from the water because mm. they live in water and they mm. hatch and they come out mm. and live for a week or two as mm. you were saying uh, above water and in mm. the air mm. um, night time seems to be a very popular time for the hatches to be huge yes and different species emerge at different times of the the daily cycle as we'll call it um, most of the sp- most of them will not emerge in total darkness emergence tends to to peak in the hours before darkness and in early early morning before it gets okay. to, just as it's getting so bright. we need to get up a bit earlier yeah. and get out and in the lakes for dawn and, well yeah and it's a different cohort of species that emerge then during the daytime um, we, I presented a paper in New Zealand years ago on, on this this type of thing on the di- diurnal emergence patterns of chronomets mm. And it is quite striking the difference between different species. Different times of yeah, the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do a yeah. lot of work with the sediment in lake beds. Yeah, I have done. That was one of the areas of research uh, when I was in, in, in UCD. It's a, a 
scientific discipline called paleolimnology. It's, limnology is the Greek word for study of water, uh, research on water, or water quality and what lives in water. And paleo just puts a time dimension on that. So um, when I first qualified uh, and was appointed to the staff of UCD, I had the, the great opportunity to go to Germany. And I spent some time at a Max Planck Institute for Limnology in the north of Germany. And there's a great opportunity for networking. And apart from my, the, my external examiner, in fact, who, who I got very friendly with over the years, um, in that institute there's a, a man working on lake sediments and coronomates in lake sediments. Now, I, I knew coronomates lived in lake, in lake sediments, obviously, but this was a different aspect to it because he was looking at the remains of the larvae in the lake sediment, what we call the head caps of the heads. And you can tell what genus um, the um, larva belongs to by looking at the heads. And his, his approach was, look, um, lake, lakes in the world gradually are building up sediment. Every year, a little bit more sediment comes in onto the lake. And as that sediment builds up or accumulates, it also incorporates the remains of the larvae that lived. As we said a while ago, the life cycle of a coronomy is four different larval instars, so you get one larval instar that changes to the second. It leaves behind the skin, and that skin has, has a head on it. So you can look at the um, sediments in a lake to see what types of larvae are there. And then because the coronaments are indicators of good quality or, or bad quality, you can actually, if you can envisage it, you could get a core of sediment going down into the deeper, you're in the deepest part of the lake, but put a core down through the sediment as far as you can go. You're essentially going backwards in time. So you could go back so hundreds of thousands of years, potentially. Well, you can certainly, in the context of Irish lakes, you're going back to the Ice Age. My. 10,000 years. And that will so. give you an idea of... Of what, what has been happening. It's giving you an idea of the development, the evolution of that lake. Yeah. You know, and you said you can get a lot of information from the skins of hatched coronamids. Yeah, yeah. And then we're talking about the sediment now at the base. Which is the more reliable if you're talking about, you know, present day, you're right at the top of the sediment, looking at what's there compared to the skins? Well, it's, it's a totally different approach to it. Is it? it okay. Totally different because... Right. What you're getting on the top surface is what's there today. Today, okay. But what I'm looking at for in the sediment is... Historic. Years, historic, absolutely. Okay. Interesting, absolutely, yes. yeah. So yeah. there's a contrast there, yeah. really. Uh, I, when I started working on, on the, these sediments, first of all, I was with a student of mine, Dermot Douglas, who, who did his, finished his PhD with me and went to, to uh, Dundalk. And then subsequently, he was in the lecturing in Dundalk, then subsequently took over his head in, in Tala, DIT. Uh, but Dermot with me, we looked at uh, lake sediments from Loch Raymer and uh, Loch Enel. We actually got cores from those lakes going tracing back to the Ice Age. It's unbelievable, and, isn't it? It's, unbe- it's an it, unbelievable it, aspect of research it, and science that people probably know would, nothing about. Absolutely, That's, yes. Yeah. You know, that it's even going on. So I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm in the pri- fortunate or privileged position to say that I pioneered this yes. type of study in Ireland. There was a, had been a preliminary study in the north of Ireland, but certainly in the Republic of Ireland, I was the, the only one who went mm. around. I actually had funding from the EU and uh, the uh, National Science Council, mm. um, which really launched my career in, in paleolimnology. Mm. So the, the populations in Ireland today, huge populations growing? Yes. Uh, it's interesting. In You should ask that question, Jerry, because in some of the lakes in the west of Ireland... But that the EU funding that I had allowed us to take cores from 50 lakes in Ireland 
and uh, also part of the project was to look at four lakes in the north of Italy. But the interesting thing was we could tell from looking at not only the coronamid remains, but also at the sediment chemistry, the amount of phosphorus and so on in, in the sediment, that there was a period in the um, early 1800s, from the 1800s onwards, in which lakes were becoming richer. And that puzzled us for a long time, until when we think about it, that was before the famine. Mm. And the population of the country was, was a lot, you know, it was 8 million or so. Okay, it's increasing now, but at that stage, and people very rarely realised that, you know, there was pressure on lakes at that time too, just purely from the, the number of people living in the area. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and you talk about today we've had yeah. enrichment in yeah. more recent times. Loch Sheelan beside has been an example of that. Oh, from the, the pig slurry. Yeah, and <laughs> among has, other has things. turned the corner yes, now. Yeah. Just before we finish, yeah. I want to tell yeah. people, this is uh, me, the boy. He was born in Navin, went to St. Pat's Classical School before going on to UCD. Just tell me this. This preoccupies your life. You've you've given your lifetime to this study. When you yeah. go out for a, a meal or a pint of that, do you forget about... Coronamids and buzzers? Um, not really. Um, you know, as I'm sitting here in front of you, Jerry, out in the car, uh, parked outside the building here, I have a green bag, and in that green bag you'll find two or three little vials. <laughs> I, I always carry them with me. <laughs> so if he's going out so for a meal and there's a water barrel at the yeah, side of the place, ab- absolutely. Give absolutely. it a dip, you can find a buzzer. I was over with our, our daughter recently in Southport. She lives near, near Southport. And uh, would you believe that? peculiar insect that I spoke about we found in the Azores yeah. and found in Kilmesson. I've also found it in Southport. You found it there as well. Yes. Isn't that... Purely from looking at the top of uh, an outside... Actually, it was a dog's drinking bowl. <laughs> They'll actually appear anywhere. They're they so can. prolific. And if yeah. there's a still bit of water and a pot, as I said, a bucket or anything, yeah. you'll see them there. And yeah. do have yeah. a look in. You'll see them. Now, This as the weather starts to warm up, look at sure. these little things like commas rising up and down in the water. They're the buzzer that you've been yeah. listening to today. Dr. Declan Murray, one of Ireland's foremost experts. Yeah. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming in. No problem. Wish you well with your continuing studies. Thank you, you, Jerry. Thank Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Kajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. I'm delighted to welcome one of our regulars back to late lunch. And when she drops in, you know there's a lesson to be learned. You need to listen up carefully. Yes, Cathy Maris here from Haven Pharmacy in Dulee. Cathy, good to see you again. Afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Now, the reason you're here is the situation with mumps. Give us the stats, because this is astounding in the first couple of months of this year. Absolutely. The HPSA, which is the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, um, just released more statistics this morning. So in the first nine weeks of this year, we've seen the cases in the northeast alone of mumps being notified to the HPSA of 102 cases. That's just this year alone, which is phenomenal growth. The majority of those cases, the highest prevalence has been in males, young males aged 15 to 19. And as a community pharmacist, that's what I see. That's They're the queries that are coming into us. So um, this really, it's an unpleasant illness as with some of the other violences that we'll talk about. It's notifiable and that means we need to notify cases of mumps, measles, um, rubella into the HSE so they can track and see the effectiveness of the vaccine and that the vaccine is working. How does mumps present itself? 
Um, there's an incubation period of 14 to 25 days. So that incubation period means that from the moment of exposure until symptoms come. So it can be up to three, almost four weeks before there's symptoms. And people can be infectious for four or five days before the symptoms and four or five days after the symptoms once they become infected. It can be asymptomatic, mumps can be. So it means there can be no symptoms. So someone who could have been exposed, developed mumps and developed their own natural immunity. And particularly if they've had the MMR vaccine as a child, they may become in contact, have very mild illness and it pass on through. However, other non-specific symptoms would be high temperature, generally quite high and parents out there will know when the temperature goes over 39, you really do begin to worry. So 39.5, maybe up to 40. So quite a high temperature. Um, there can be pain around the jaw area. So because mumps tends to affect glands and people, you know, the typical mumps that you will know are the neck will swell, the sides of the jaw will be sore. Even in the armpits, the axillary glands, um, around the groin area, around the testicles for men, um, they, they tend to be sore, swollen, maybe looking a little bit disfigured, all of those areas and very, very painful. There can be sometimes a rash and even if the neck in particular is quite swollen and stiff, it's difficult to move. Um, general malaise as well. People feel generally really, really unwell. Um, so that's all very significant. And if it passes as a viral illness, that's fine. It's transmitted by close contact so it's tr transmitted through the saliva by close contact so that could be down to not washing the hands sharing drinks very simple you think of kids teenagers what they're doing just maybe just a bit of hygiene but once it's transmitted there are risk of complications if, if mumps does develop of course it's a preventable illness with the vaccine the MMR vaccine is in the immunisation schedule at age 12 months and then boosted again when they go into junior infants at age 4 or 5 What's the uptake in that like? It has improved. There was a significant drop a number of years ago when a study um, that purported to link mumps, the MMR vaccine, to cases of autism. And that study was completely discredited globally. And that doctor, Andrew Wakefield, was struck off every medical register he was ever on. So this, And there is a bit of an upsurge again in the anti-vaccination campaign. So we would remind people that vaccinations work vaccines are safe, they're effective and the one we always refer back to is look smallpox that's been completely eradicated as an illness and, and human life has survived better because of it. So these illnesses are preventable through the MMR vaccine. Uptake has improved as I say, it did drop down to about 70% which is significantly really really lower than we needed to be we needed to be up at about 95 percent and now at the minute we're sitting at about 92 percent so we're getting there we still need to be a little bit higher mumps as cases rose in by 244 percent over the past three years which is really really significant and obviously correlated to not getting the vaccine as well now Absolutely. if you have this and it's viral you say it takes it course I presume and can you do anything to alleviate the symptoms or help yourself? In terms of treatment it's absolutely bed rest, lots of fluid and analgesics so painkillers, whether it's mm. a paracetamol, ibuprofen, whatever it takes, lots of fluid, bed rest you need to notify the GP, contact your pharmacist and then we need to make contact with the HSE or the HPSE so that they know that sometimes the swab might be taken just to verify it as, as mumps. But um, How long? How long will it, you have it for? Well, it is the incubation period is 17 to 25 days. So okay. once symptoms come out, it can take another week to 10 days to improve. All right. So it really um, does. And so school and work and everything needs to be excluded really until four or five days after symptoms improve. You mentioned there a 
potentially serious ramifications. One of the ones I know about is in terms of adult fertility, male fertility. Yeah, or, or on, and female and as female. well. Yeah, so when I say about there's testicular swelling, it can be bilateral or it can be unilateral. And actually, so, so there could be swelling on one side, whether it, you know whether it's male or female in terms of the egg swelling or the, the glands around there, or whether it's males. So they may have swelling on one testicle that passes, and three or four days later that might come back while the virus is still very active mm. in the system. But that can lead to long-term infertility and with women it can lead to a real drop in um, egg count as well so there can be fertility other complication is there can be profound deafness um, in, because of the swelling around this library glands up around to the neck and that can be in about 1 in 15,000 cases so one person in every 15,000 that develop mumps will become profoundly deaf so that's a huge complication mm. that we need to think about pancreatitis which is swelling of the pancreas and can lead to acute illness throughout adult life occurs about 4% of cases um, there can be arthritis uh, kidney problems because these glands that are affected by the mumps the, par- the paromuxim Mix, mix of virus um, they all become affected just the ones that we see mm. are swollen but so is it well inside. to avoid if you know somebody has mumps really it is an isolating disease and people should keep away from them if it's transmitted as you say there is an exclusion criteria absolutely yeah. the, the person that's infected needs to be withdrawn from school mm. or college or workplace but also it's back down to hand hygiene not sharing drinks that kind of thing and reinstilling that advice in with our teenagers because this is the greatest age group of which we're seeing these but then it's never too late to be vaccinated so if ideally the MMR should be given at age 12 months and then again at school going age but if it has been missed and sometimes the dose can be missed and if you have a couple of kids and you might forget who got what booster and you know these things can happen if, if it hadn't been written down and a lot of the cases of mumps at the minute it's the status the vaccination status hasn't been given by the parents and this is what's the, the latest news so maybe one dose was received and maybe not the booster dose or vice versa. Um, if both doses aren't received, the immunity isn't guaranteed. So we need to make sure the immunity is there. So get get the booster dose. So it's never too late. Related measles, what's the situation there? with Measles is also on the increase and there were 21 cases of measles so far in 2019, which isn't as high as mumps. But measles is one of the most contagious infectious diseases and also can be very, very serious because there is a risk of encephalitis, there's a risk of um, pancreatitis again, risk of deafness, can be very, very serious and there's quite a few fatalities with measles. So it's a very serious, notifiable disease. Um, The 21 cases so far in 2019, in the first nine weeks of this year alone, in 2018, in its totality, there was 86 cases. In 2017, there were 25. So this is an illness on that's really on the rise. Some of it is, again, a bit like mumps, down to the non-receipt of, of both doses of the MMR vaccine. And some of it is down to foreign travel, perhaps not having both doses, then going off travelling and coming back or something. So we're not really sure how and why, but still, this is an illness that we need to prevent. And it is completely preventable by safe and effective vaccines. The vaccine is the answer, folks. Let's move on. Hand, foot and mouth. And this is a regular ailment that raises its head in schools and creches and play schools, etc. We do. And and in pharmacy, we do. This is one of the more common viral illnesses that people present their their kids with. It tends to be in the very young age group, maybe from from creche or school going age up to about five or six, Mm. usually under 10, though it can happen in in older children. Um, It is caused by a virus. It tends to have little blisters all along the palm of the hand, maybe up into the fingers, little blisters around the mouth, inside the mouth, possibly inside the nostrils and around the 
soles of the feet as well. Sometimes it can affect the buttocks, the genitalia and that kind of thing. And very often parents will say, would you mind just having a general look? So all pharmacies, as you know, Jerry, have a consultation room. I have no hesitation any parent asking us to check through to see what happens. It is very contagious. So we do tend to see outbreaks. So we can tell nearly when a junior infant class is going to be hit or when a crash, when one or two, cla- when one or two children come in from a crash or childcare facility we know then there might be another five or six more or ten more but the treatment is really down to management of the pain fluids lots and lots of fluids and if you think as an adult if you had a dozen sores in your mouth you wouldn't mm. really want to eat or drink no no so think of a little one so the How risk they're feeling yes the risk of dehydration particularly in the very young is very very severe so it's down to making sure that the if they don't eat fair enough but fluids. So diorolite is one of the mainstays of treatment because it will keep them rehydrated. They will start to reduce what they, they eat. And so the risk of dehydration is the biggest one. We tend to advise that anyone, and it's difficult when they're little ones, but anyone with hand, foot and mouth disease should avoid um, pregnant women just particularly towards the end of their um, gestation really to make sure that they don't become exposed or any neonate or young infant becomes exposed. Okay, so that's, that's important. That's but pregnancies in the family, if they have hand, foot or mouth, keep them away and take them out of the fresh school. Take them school. out because yes. they are infectious. And then with, with all of these illnesses that we're talking about, you need to notify the schools. Yep. Um, certainly with mumps and measles, you need to notify the GP um, and they'll refer it to the HSE. But these kind of, the, the more simple cases, such as hand, foot and mouth, slap cheek, you need to notify the childcare facility. Is slap cheek similar in the, in the same sphere as... Yeah. It's another viral illness, exactly. Okay. So these are all respiratory-borne. So like, it's droplet spread. So you think when a child sneezes that they, 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 it passes on or their dirty hands or, or whatever, yeah. they wipe their nose and it passes on. What will a child with slap cheek look like or how will a child present with it it is really named after how it looks so it looks yeah so red really really red really red and the fear and the worry then for parents and um guardians tends to be is it scarlet fever Mm. so that's how when a child comes into us how is it presented scarlet fever would have a much higher um temperature slap cheek they tend to be a little bit unwell they might have had a runny nose runny eyes for a few days beforehand as with hand foot and mouth slap cheek though it really is the two cheeks are bright bright red but no other rash um scarlet fever will have a very distinctive rash in the armpits um sometimes on the trunk but a very distinctive rash in the armpits then it moves onto the trunk and begins then to have a strawberry appearance in the tongue as well so that but the differential then is jumping back to measles is very often people would present to us in the pharmacy with scarlet fever and be worried that it's measles. So okay. we're very distinctive appearances of all of these illnesses. So if in any doubt at all, bring them in and let us have a look at them. Chicken pox. Chicken pox is on the rise. This It always kind of comes out around February, March time. There's periodic outbreaks throughout the year, but this season is real chicken pox season. Um, there is a ch- chicken pox vaccine. It's not part of the immunisation schedule of the HSE, but it is available for anyone that wishes to vaccinate their children. When we talked about the MMR vaccine, it's one thing actually just to point out, Jerry, that um, there are some children who are really, really ill and cannot receive these vaccinations because their immune systems wouldn't take it. So we've talked before about herd immunity. So if we get our vaccination rates up to 95% for these illnesses that prevents or that protects those other children that can't receive it. So that's one thing to bear in mind. You're not just protecting your own child, you're protecting the others that can't get it. Chickenpox presents really most parents when the spots begin 
second to arrive, they go, oh yeah, they were off form this past few days or a runny nose. The incubation period for chickenpox can be anything up to 21 days, from 5 to 21 days. Um, so the child could be exposed to the chickenpox virus, the, the varicella virus, three weeks earlier and the spot's not come out for until then. The, those children tend to be highly contagious as well so they need to be kept off school until every single last blister has crossed it over. Every one of them. <laughs> every every one, one of them. Absolutely. So again it's management it's down to temperature so paracetamol only not ibuprofen. We've discovered that the ibuprofen, the neurofen can actually change how the chickenpox virus reacts within the body and can cause very serious illness in children so it's paracetamol only when there's chickenpox. Lots of fluids really mind the sores, trying to keep the child away from scratching the sores. Antihistamine is really effective at that, giving them an oral solution if they're over two. Anything like Zyrtec is absolutely fine. And just minding them, that's really it. TLC, it's a very important thing when they're not feeling up to the mark. Now, tomorrow is Pancake Tuesday and I talk about a pancake overload you're going to have tomorrow for sure. Uh, you have an annual pancake fundraiser out at Haven. We it's do. a great day every year, isn't it? How many years is this now? We are into our 13th year and we've raised um, over 15,000. We're on, and we're hopefully this year we'll hit to 17,000. Well done yeah. to you. And the money goes to who? I bring it directly into the Doca Centre, the Lairdy of Lourdes Hospital, into the, the centre there, the Palliative Care Service. I, I know one year they said they needed to buy a new syringe driver and what we raised was going to pay for that syringe driver. So we just, we know that they... They know this money is coming every year, so it's fantastic. I've already had people in the pharmacy today hand me money because they won't make it around tomorrow. Myself and Martina will be making pancakes from 10am tomorrow morning. We have 30 litres of mat batter to make <laughs> tonight, um, is, which kindly provided by Giuseppe Spiteri. He's a chef locally. Yeah. So he provides us the batter and the equipment and we will get this going all day tomorrow. And where are you? Just outside the shop, is Outside it? the shop. We, do you know, and God has been very kind to us. It has never rained for us on all of these days. So we um, well, are that's looking what we forward want. to it. Jesus, are you listening today <laughs> to us on the airwaves? Please, tomorrow, another decent day for the pancakes out in the league. So anybody passing by, pancakes, fresh pancakes made for you and a donation, please, all going to palliative care. Well done to you. Thank Good you. day to you tomorrow. And thanks indeed for dropping in to inform us on all these viral illnesses. You've had loads of information. And don't forget, drop in to Cathy at Haven Pharmacy or all your local pharmacy. They'll be delighted to help you and Perfect. sort you out. Until the next time, thanks a million, Cathy. Great job. That's it on Late Lunch for this uh, Monday afternoon. Hope you have a nice evening. Come back and join us, yes, on Pancake Tuesday because on Late Lunch we will be cooking pancakes live ourselves. Miss Tara Walker from East Coast Cookery School is coming in top of the show tomorrow. If you want to taste one of Tara's pancakes, come in. You're welcome to Late, to late Lunch and LMFM from 1.30 tomorrow if you want to taste. Come in here and join us. There'll be more about pancakes starting off in the morning. By the time you get to us, by God, you will be full of them, that's for sure. Anyway, have a nice evening. Eddie up next with The Drive. See you Tuesday. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 petrol Kajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. That's fine, Mary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 